A quick word of warning before we begin. This episode includes a brief discussion of sexual assault at gigs and festivals. You know, we're not sponsored by Spotify, but we really should be. Temporary Fandom started life as a Facebook group that's now over 1,000 strong, and almost every weekday we steer those listeners towards a particular album, sometimes raising fractions of a penny for struggling artists, perplexed by the sudden spike in interest in their forgotten records. This podcast, which you're listening to now, is an attempt to bring that process to a wider audience. We choose an artist and listen to their complete discography, warts and all, and then we talk about the experience. Anyway, if Spotify, or any streaming service for that matter, wish to acknowledge our hard work, get in touch. We're long overdue a sponsor. But enough of that. You can find us at tempfans.com and on all the major podcast storefronts. And in the show notes, we link to a special playlist edition of the show that cuts the talk together with the tunes. It's on Spotify, of course, but like I said, they should be paying us. Today, we have the first of two amazing episodes for you, with a truly brilliant list of guests, so I won't keep you here any longer than necessary. Let's get down to business, as Temporary Fandoms takes on the discography of US punk giants Slater Kinney. Hello there, welcome to Temporary Fandoms. Uh, again, I have no idea which episode this is. We're in season three, but this one might be coming out as episode four, or it might be coming out as episode eight. That decision will be made tomorrow. Anyway, I'm Ewan. I'm Nick. And I'm, I'm sort of really excited about this, uh, this one. It's going to be slightly chaotic, um, but I think we're going to be covering some really good stuff. Um, and we'll explain as we go. So first of all, one of our many guests today... Oh, by the way, in previous episodes, I've sort of rushed through things and just sort of said hello to people and not sort of properly introduced them. So I've got notes. We have got uh, author of the upcoming 33 and third book, Come Away With Me with ESG, writer, articles appeared in things such as The Skinny, She Shreds, um, O'Comley Magazine, which um, if you're listening to this, the last episode was Neutral Milk Hotel that we recorded, and O'Comley Narrative Klaxon was named after the Neutral Milk Hotel song. Um, also, broadcaster, the, the other woman on Soho Radio, Cherie? Yes, she's nodding at me. Um, and, and more importantly, um, guitar and vocal in 2007, Steve Lamax's favorite band of the year, Gossip Rockers, Violet Violet. Cherie, welcome back. Goodness gracious, what an intro. Thank you. Done my homework for you. You have. Um, have you got my mum's name back there as well? <laughs> uh, yeah, bank details, sort of. <laughs> <Yeah. like that. laughs> um, and speaking of Violet Violet, uh, I'm going to say sister in arms, uh, or sister in drumsticks anyway, um, and now driving the beat of legendary post-punk band, The Nightingales, returning to the pod, um, last heard in our fall episodes, Fliss Kitson. Hello, Fliss. Hello, thanks for having me back. You're all welcome. Oh, and now we've got someone new. Um, new to the pod, and we're very excited. Uh, we've got the author of Girls to the Front, The True Story of the Riot. Okay, do we say just girl, a riot girl, like a pirate? Because there's loads of R's. You pronounce it however you want. <laughs> Girls to the Front, The True Story of the Riot Girl Revolution, and also writer of some uh, other amazing pieces you can find out there on the New Republic and The Nation. We've got Sarah Marcus. Sarah, hello. Howdy, nice to be here. Great to have you. And welcoming back, uh, didn't have him in season two, but he was all over season one. A longtime friend of the pod, 
He was in Bowie, Bowie, Yola Tengo. And also the only time I really get to say, oh, yeah, occasionally I'm on a pod with someone who was on Radiolab. It is lexicographer, (laughs) wordsmith, uh, music nerd, and, well, it's Ben Zimmer. Hey, Ben. Hello, hello. Good to be back. It's great to have you back. And Ben, as you were the last in that round, I'm going to ask you, who are we doing today? Well, we're going to break down the Slater-Kinney albums into two parts. So for the first part, we're covering 95 to 2000. So in 95, we have the band's uh, self-titled debut album. That's followed by uh, Call the Doctor from 1996. Dig Me Out was in 1997. The Hot Rock was in 1999. And... All Hands on the Bad One came out in 2000. And um, I'll be doing intros, but I'm very happy that uh, Sheree and Fliss will also be joining in on uh, these intros. Sheree doing the intro for Dig Me Out and Fliss for All Hands on the Bad One. Perfect. Thank you very much. And in case you missed that, because we didn't really say at the beginning, it, it, that's Slater Kinney, Slater Kinney, um, which we are spitting into two, into two episodes. Um, so I've been talking for quite a lot. And if you're listening right now and you're a regular listener of the pod, you're thinking, yeah, this is going way too long. You and just move on. Let's get to the next bit. Um, the first voice you're going to hear after the sting will be Ben. Uh, you're going to be talked through um, five of the Slater Kinney albums. If you're listening on the Spotify playlist, there will also be some songs on there. And then we will all be back later. So see you in a bit. Where to start with Slater-Kinney? How about starting with their own words? From their musical manifesto, Words and Guitar. From their earth-shaking 1997 album, Dig Me Out. Corin Tucker joyously shouts, Words and guitar, I got it. Words and guitar, I want it. Way, way too loud, I got it. Words and guitar. And then Carrie Brownstein sings right behind her, Can't take this away from me. Music is the air I breathe. Can't take this away from me. And for more than 25 years now, with some breaks along the way, Tucker and Brownstein have been sharing that all-consuming passion at the core of Slater-Kinney. Music has been the air that they have breathed, going all the way back to the band's roots in the feminist riot girl scene of Olympia, Washington, when Tucker and Brownstein were still just college students and they left their old bands behind to join forces and create a fantastic run of albums for most of them, accompanied by kick-ass drummer Janet Weiss. The power of their music has been thrilling to experience over the years. I still remember when I first put on Dig Me Out in 97 and heard the title track, Carrie's brilliant opening guitar riff, followed by Janet's drum wallop, and then Corin's wild vocals. It was the most exciting music I had heard in a long time, and I just wanted to turn, turn it up way, way too loud. By 2000, it was easy to agree with the pronouncement of Grill Marcus in the pages of Time magazine that they were America's best rock band. Even if they've never managed much chart success, despite being such critical darlings. While Brownstein achieved a level of fame for her satirical TV show Portlandia with Fred Armisen, the band's music has always flown a bit under the radar of mainstream acceptance, which is how they've wanted it and explains why they've stuck to indie rock labels, from Chainsaw in the early days, to Kill Rock Stars, to Sub Pop, to most recently Mom and Pop. And because they never got burnt out by fame, that has allowed them to take their careers at their own pace, indulging in many side projects 
and going on a nearly decade-long hiatus before bringing the band back in 2015. And while they've undergone many changes over the years, most notably the departure of Janet Weiss in 2019, Slater Kinney has remained committed to their staunch musical independence. First, let's go back nearly three decades to October 23, 1992. Students at Western Washington University in Bellingham, Washington, near the Canadian border, invited a lineup of bands to play at a downtown gallery. The headliner was supposed to be Bikini Kill, but they had to cancel due to a family illness. Bikini Kill frontwoman Kathleen Hanna had started up the band in Olympia, Washington, home of Evergreen State College in 1990 with Toby Vale and Kathy Wilcox. Together, they pioneered a vital new style of political punk empowering women's voices that went by the name Riot Girl, spelled G-R-R-R-L. Toby Vale had used that spelling in a zine that she published called Jigsaw, and it was picked up by Alison Wolfe and Molly Newman of the band Bratmobile, who published their own Riot Girl zine. It must have been disappointing when Bikini Kill had to cancel that Bellingham show, but two other bands still made it to the gig. The Vancouver group Mecha Normal, whose frontwoman Jean Smith had helped inspire the Riot Girl sound, and a new band from Olympia called Heavens to Betsy, led by Corin Tucker, backed by her fellow Evergreen State student, Tracy Sawyer. Among the Western Washington students in the audience for the show was Carrie Brownstein, who had become obsessed with the new music coming out of Olympia, including Heavens to Betsy. After the show, Carrie approached Corin and earnestly asked her for more information about the Riot Girl scene. Corin pulled out a notebook and had Carrie write down her address. At that moment, as Carrie would later recall in her memoir, Hunger Makes Me a Modern Girl, she knew she wanted to transfer to Evergreen State just to be part of the action down in Olympia. The biggest pull for Carrie was the distinct sound of Corin's voice. As she later wrote, the voice asked to be listened to, but did not beg or plead. It dared and challenged, it confronted, but needed no reply from the listener. When Carrie got to Olympia, she started her own band called Excuse 17. She and Becca Albee both sang and played guitar with CJ Phillips on drums. These Olympia bands didn't seem to care much for bassists. The bands in the scene also liked to mix and match members, forming various side projects. And before long, Corin and Carrie decided to try putting together their own band when they weren't busy with Heavens to Betsy and Excuse 17. And when they weren't busy taking college classes, but that wasn't their main concern. The band name that they came up with indicated they weren't thinking too ambitiously at first. Slater Kinney was just the name of a road off of Interstate 5 in Lacey, Washington, near Olympia, where they had a practice space. By the way, locals pronounce the name of the road Slater Kinney, not Sleater Kinney, and that's how the band has continued to say the name. Corin and Carrie also started dating around this time, and their short-lived relationship and subsequent breakup would heavily inform their first few albums. They became pen pals with Stephen O'Neill of the Australian indie group The Canaines, and he invited them to come to Sydney. In 1994, they took him up on the invitation, crashing at his place and working out songs in his living room. They enlisted drummer Laura McFarlane, who was publishing her own zine called Woozy, and would go on to form a band called 99. The three of them recorded the first Slater-Kinney album in Melbourne, and it came out the following year 
on Donna Dresch's Queercore Chainsaw label out of Portland, Oregon. As Carrie would later recall, many of those earliest tunes didn't even have names. We called them Last Song, Slow Song, as if it were enough to merely have a song, a band. Titles? Who needed them? These were crude, blunt stabs with cookie-cutter structures. We didn't do any editing. The first idea was the only idea. There was no best, worst, or better, just raw attempts. You can hear on the album, Corn and Carrie were still figuring out how to combine their distinct voices and guitar work, but it's an auspicious debut. Lyrically, they were in line with other Riot Girl acts of the time, but with more of an emphasis on exploring interpersonal relationships, especially of the same-sex variety. Laura's song, with Laura McFarlane singing, would be the first and last time that lead vocals were handled by someone other than Corin and Carrie. Standouts include The Day I Went Away, the album's catchiest song, where the verses play out like an argument between Corin and Carrie over how to break up a relationship. A Real Man coming in at a little over a minute long is the song most clearly in the Riot Girl tradition, with Corin fiercely clapping back at the patriarchy. Be Your Mama is another raw, visceral track subverting gender roles. And on the closer, the last song, Carrie screams, I don't owe you anything, a defiant statement of purpose.